Welcome to Insurance Uncovered, the first property casualty insurance podcast to bring you perspective and insight on the top issues facing industry professionals. Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Kathy Imus. Today, we're uncovering autonomous vehicles. Are insurers to blame for slowing progress on AVs? Why one NAMIC expert refutes a recent article citing the industry as the holdup. Plus, Hurricane Michael, now two months since the storm wiped out the Florida panhandle, and what IBHS president says needs to happen as the community rebuilds. And we'll hear from Ted Nickel, Wisconsin State Insurance Commissioner and past president of the NAIC, his advice for incoming leaders. But first, a quick check on the news. The National Flood Insurance Program is now set to expire on December 21st, following yet another short-term reauthorization by Congress. This time, the deadline coincides with passage of a federal funding package that's needed to avoid a government shutdown. NAMIC will continue to push Congress to enact a long-term reauthorization of the NFIP that includes major reforms designed to put the debt-ridden program on a path toward fiscal solvency. But the current expectation is that the NFIP will be extended for six months and become part of the next budget agreement. As the final days of the year approach, there's also a last-ditch effort underway in Washington to pass automated vehicle legislation. A new draft bill that would make changes to the Senate's AV Start Act has been circulated with the hope of reaching an agreement to have it attached to the spending bill. The draft includes changes intended to improve long-term safety and clarify issues with respect to preemption and liability. It also includes a provision inserted by the trial bar to limit the ability of companies to compel binding arbitration for consumers using automated vehicles. NAMIC is concerned about that provision and believes there are enough flaws with this bill overall that lawmakers should wait to begin work again in the next Congress. Is the insurance industry the biggest holdup when it comes to autonomous vehicles? That's the conclusion reached in a recent article by Forbes. The author says insurers are resisting the adoption of AVs because the accident and fatality rate has to decline, otherwise AVs will never be a reality. He claims, quote, there will be far fewer payouts needed and therefore the insurance market will demand a huge decline in the total premiums that are paid in. NAMIC's general counsel, Tom Carroll, takes issue with that conclusion, saying that's simply not the case. Uh, I think that is hogwash, balderdash, and a few other adjectives you could use in terms of farms. But uh, I, I think our members particularly, and everyone in the insurance industry I've, I've talked to, is a great supporter of, a, of, of autonomous vehicles. Uh, but basically the proponent is let's, let's make sure they're safe. So there, you will probably hear at some point, well, insurance companies are stopping autonomous cars because their, their premiums will go away or their premiums will drop. And I, I think that's, that's completely ridiculous, and that, that's one of the areas that, uh, that we've been fighting against. Uh, you know, we're fully supportive of that. All of our members have extensive programs to fight, try to figure out how to assist in, in developing these. Tom authored a white paper earlier this year discussing the role insurers will need to play as AVs enter the next phase of development. NAMIC also submitted comments to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration last month, emphasizing that the single most important reason to support the development of automated vehicles is the potential to enhance safety and save lives. NHTSA is currently developing a pilot program for the safe on-road testing and deployment of AVs. 
This week marks two months since Hurricane Michael devastated the Florida panhandle. In that time, essential services, including power and water, have been restored, and local businesses are beginning to reopen. But additional help is still needed. Roy Wright, president and CEO of the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety, spoke at the Florida Chamber Insurance Summit. He challenged the country to shift its focus to protective measures before an event and not after. Simply showing people they have a risk doesn't change it. So how do we do that? Well, I put it this way. We've got to pay attention to what the incentives will be going forward. We've seen some things with wind pools in North Carolina, by which they've said when they have claims, they want to make sure that the roofs are put back on stronger. Uh, we're seeing other ways by which states are w- using their post-disaster dollars as well as their pre-disaster dollars to seed those elements. There's a couple of states that are putting in place low-income, uh, excuse me, low-interest loan programs uh, by which people can pay for it themselves but have it financed in a far more accessible way. You all know the need is clear. You all know that there are ways to fortify the question for us all, and I would assert to you for everyone that you touch in your networks beyond this room, is what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do for the real people? If I had to boil it down to this, it requires an education not just the theoretical and not just of the numbers, but getting us to the point by which we can understand where we live. Listen to a university professor in New Jersey who said this, there are 100,000 moving pieces in a car, in a controlled environment for quality assurance and control. A home multiplies that by 10. Yet it's done in a piecework kind of way. So what would it look like if we put the information and the context in our culture in place so that people care as much about what's in their walls as they do about what hangs on them? That's the challenge, I think, that's in front of us all. Out of 2,700 dwellings, the city reports that only 500 are currently habitable two months after Hurricane Michael made landfall. The city has put a moratorium on new construction projects, while officials assess building codes and other regulations. When it comes to regulations, we all know the National Association of Insurance Commissioners is one of the most, if not the most, important regulatory bodies in our industry. And it's one with which NAMIC has a strong working relationship. On today's Unscripted, our Chuck Chamnus talks with Ted Nickel, Wisconsin State Insurance Commissioner and former president of the NAIC. They discuss some of his greatest accomplishments, as well as what he sees as the challenges ahead for the new NAIC leadership. Well, Ted, thank you so much for joining me. I am delighted to have you for a guest on Insurance Unscripted. Um, Welcome. Great to be here, Chuck. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Well, I think of you as like an insurance all-star. I mean, considering that you have a background in mutual insurance, formerly uh, you know working in, in uh, government affairs and policy with Church Mutual, uh, obviously your incredible tenure as uh, Wisconsin's um, state insurance commissioner and certainly as NAIC president, we've had the opportunity to uh, testify together uh, in opposition on the same side of uh, the covered agreement 
at least in opposition to the covered agreement being signed without any kind of, uh, you know, uh, suggestion or support from the U.S. Treasury. So I'm really excited about our conversation today, and I think I'd start with kind of a broad question, which is just, you know, looking at your regulatory career, um, you know, what are the events or accomplishments that stand out as highlights? Gosh, there's there's so many, and it, and that's such a great question. We could talk for an hour on that. It's just been such a such a wonderful career here as insurance commissioner for the state of Wisconsin. Um, I think I think what really stands out is is that that year as president when when we started out the year um, in 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 direct opposition to the covered agreement, and by the time the year was over, thanks to the Trump administration, we were able to to um, operationalize it in a way that that really benefited the U.S. regulatory system and had the full faith and support of of Treasury. Um, that was a that was a major accomplishment. I think I think operationally here at the department. Um, having been here for now, winding up my eighth year, um, just seeing the the amount of change and, and the amount of of reform that we've been able to do here, um, and and all the great hires we've made as as we've seen a, a generation of, of of seasoned regulators retire, um, having having the opportunity to rebuild the department and reform it in a way that that really makes sense uh, for for a more modern. Uh, insurance uh, industry, and then maybe thirdly, um, supporting and embracing um, all of the change that's going on right now out in the the insurance marketplace with regards to innovation and technology. I was able to get that stood up uh, at the NEIC, the Innovation Technology Task Force, and and to have an opportunity to work with with a lot of the the uh, existing companies who are exploring new innovation technology to help their business models as well as meeting with and, and helping guide some of the uh, some of the really important uh, groups out there who are who are essentially trying to disrupt the existing insurance marketplace and providing them some guidance and some some direction as to how they can how they can assist with uh, existing companies and how they can they can branch out on their own well that is uh, those are three great uh, highlights in three different areas you know, and I completely agree on the covered agreement. Obviously, NAMIC uh, was there, um, you know, working really the only industry representative um, on the insurance company trade side that um, was with the NEIC in support of, you know, having some kind of modification, some clarification of that covered agreement. And now what we're seeing is, uh, you know, Treasury's looking at doing other covered agreements. Uh, we're, we're working with them to, uh, you know, make sure that that, type of uh, language that uh, you all insisted on and that we worked on uh, is included in other uh, CAs going forward. So I think we've seen a lot of positive uh, change that's come out of that uh, year that you mentioned where you were NEIC uh, president and and really helping carry the uh, the message to Congress and, and others, the Trump Treasury Department, most importantly on that. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I'm not I'm not a big advocate of of covered agreements, although I think in in very very bespoke situations they they may make some sense. But I think it has to be, it can't be a federal a, a purely federal government operation. It's got to be in conjunction with with the state regulatory system as well as with input from from industry, um, so that anything going forward doesn't create unlevel playing fields, and and makes sense for our existing regulatory framework. Totally agree. And I don't know if you saw it this morning. We're speaking uh, 
Thursday, the 29th of November, uh, you know, early in the morning, but the Wall Street Journal had an editorial today that was great, uh, you know, offered great support for state regulation in general, and Duffy Heck is part of the Jobs 3.0 package uh, in particular. And uh, so we're very happy to uh, help help work, you know, on that and, and to uh, really see the Journal's editorial board and their lead editorial come out in support of those things that, uh, you know, we also agree on. Super. That's good news. So looking at... Uh, you know, your tenure as the commissioner in Wisconsin, Wisconsin is a great insurance state, and I mean that for policyholders and certainly for companies. For our mutual insurance industry, uh, there's really no state, um, you know, as good in terms of number of large, successful, uh, you know, property casualty insurance mutuals uh, in the state. What do you think is the key to that? What, is, what has made that develop over time? And you know about the companies I'm talking about and the great variety and their strong performance over over many years yeah and that's that's a you're very kind to, to say that and 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 i would say that you know even before i got here there was a there was a very strong mindset um at the department which which essentially goes something along the lines of a competitive insurance marketplace is the best consumer protection and and that's and that's what um what guided the department before i got here and and what and, and is what continues today. I think what makes it so strong is the fact that so many of the, the companies are involved in, 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 in work very closely together on public policy. Um, you know, they beat each other up each and every day, you know, trying to, trying to get customers. But when it comes to public policy, it's, it's very much um, organic and it develops at the trade association level with, with companies getting together, working on good public policy together. And, and it's not one company out trying to, trying to pull a fast one in the legislature on another one. It's, it's very much, um, uh, very much a collective and a, and a, and a very cooperative, uh, arrangement. And I think also, um, unlike, unlike some other states, quite frankly, the insurance department, um, does not have a, have a, generally have a, have a, have a strong, legislative agenda. We basically let things develop organically. Um, and if they make sense, we will, you know, we'll be supportive or we'll provide some guidance here and there and we'll be um, available to the legislature to answer questions. But we don't, we don't, and I don't believe that, that the department um, or, or myself or, or anybody else here has some sort of corner on intelligence and, and should dictate how the marketplace should work. I think those ideas are best um, are best developed by the industry, uh, working in conjunction with with consumer groups and working in conjunction with the legislature to pass good public policy that maintains that that competitive insurance marketplace. And and it's really um, it really thrives uh, here in Wisconsin. And it and ultimately it's and again it 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 comes to it it, it comes to fruition and it and it really shows when you. When you've got so many companies wanting to wanting to be licensed here, um, as well as existing ones who, who work very closely each and every day to to contain that contain that competitive uh, competitive space. Well, I, I totally agree. And in, in your comment about the uh, you know competition being one of the greatest uh, you know forms of consumer protection is uh, absolutely true. We see that in a lot of states, uh, not all, and we'd like to see a few states really take uh, take some. Uh, guidance from uh, Wisconsin in terms of how you uh, encourage competition and just uh, 
um, you know, healthy insurance markets, and really it does help consumers. Let's talk a little about your time at the NEIC. Um, and the NEIC, you've had a, a long and successful tenure. Um, you know, we talked about the covered agreement, uh, which we found ourselves on the same side of and, and worked together on. You know, we don't always see eye to eye with the NEIC, and I wonder institutionally, you know, what are the if you could change a couple things or or if you'd cite some challenges about the NEIC, uh, maybe advice that you'd even give to the new leadership of the NEIC about, about ways to make that organization uh, better. Yeah, and, and I think, um, you know, uh, not having any idea of what the NEIC did prior to this job um, and, and now having been on the executive committee for most of my tenure as well as uh, going up through the chairs, um, I think the NEIC generally does a, does a very good job of, of serving as a regulatory support organization for, for all of us as, as regulators. Um, I think we just, we meaning the NEIC still needs to, to remember um, that, that regulators come first and states come first and, and um, just need to continue to, to remember that that the NEIC is in fact a, a, a regulatory support organization and not a, an Uber regulator. And I think what concerns a lot of folks in industry is when, when NEIC is doing things on behalf of us that appear to be um, um, heading in that direction. And, and I'll give you an example of, of <clears throat> I know a concern that's, that con- continues to be out there, which is um, them assisting again us in a lot of the work we're doing on the innovation technology side. Um, companies are getting more, uh, more, more complicated, and 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 um, and, and we're we're relying uh, more and more on the NEIC to provide resources um, as we've as we're moving ahead with our with our uh, state ahead uh, uh, function, which is which is basically a result of a of a um, a review we did and strategic planning we did while I was president, um, but they're they're gearing up and they're they're putting together a lot of resources that will again assist us in, in understanding complex insurance uh, models and 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 uh, algorithms and and new ways of pricing and 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 there's there's a fear there that that the NEIC is going to start you know making decisions um, and what I think the NEIC needs to continue to do is provide that. Um, and, and, the, and the leadership there provide um, good, uh, transparent um, communications to industry to let them uh, let them know and understand that that's not the direction they're heading, um, but it's it's merely um, um, leveraging its its resources to help states that may may not have access to uh, to very specific talent on on the actuarial side or on the data data side um, and I think I think they can be a big help in, in a lot of these a lot of these analyses but it can look it can look and feel like um, that they're, they're heading in a, in, a, in a direction that makes people uncomfortable so I think the, one of the best things they can do is continue to continue to um, explain uh, what's going on there so that there isn't any ambiguity there or isn't any there aren't any concerns there um, and the other piece is, you know, I think we've done a good job explaining our ever-increasing budget, but uh, the budget continues to grow, uh, again, based on meeting the needs that, that states are, are asking the NEIC to do and help them serve, help serve them. 
um, but but continue to explain what why the budget is uh, continuing to grow and why it um, why we're why we're investing in in in, uh, in in a lot of the projects that we're doing well, I think that's a, it's a great point and certainly something we've been concerned about and in dialogue with the NEIC about and that is you know that the NEIC is not a regulator and that uh, it does have a purpose and it should assist states in in um, you know navigating through this more complex insurance regulatory environment, but we can't you know outsource regulatory functions to the NEIC. And, and I'm really happy to hear your your um, you know reinforcement of that. And I hope that the, uh, the next leaders of the NEIC and the institution itself you know take uh, take heed and and follow you know your guidance. Looking at your experience, you know, working and representing the U.S. regulatory system around the world, we're we're still working on the global insurance capital standard. Um, the IAIS has has um, has been working on it, um, and we hear that you know many of the conversations around it uh, really haven't been satisfactorily resolved. Um, you know, how will we get other countries to? And we have obviously our own uh, approach, which we think is uh, a prudent. Um, position for the U.S. around a, you know, flexible, principles-based approach uh, on capital. But what do you think is, is next on this, and, and, and how, how can we help address this going forward? Because uh, it is an important emerging issue, and it is a question, like so many today, of, you know, of European style of regulation versus U.S. style of regulation. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> that's another two-hour uh, podcast, Chuck. Um, but I, I think I think what we've laid we've laid the foundation for, and and it all came out of uh, it all came out of the the Kuala Lumpur agreement uh, a year or two ago, um, where we at least got the the Europeans and and others who are who are more solvency two based who are looking for um, an ICS or a uh, you know, kind of a global insurance capital standard, which is, which is um, solvency two based, um, to again continue to to recognize that our U.S. regulatory system and our and our way of doing financial analysis is different. And um, I can only you know I can only say that that as long as we've we've got kind of got that agreement in place and we've got the IIS and um, and others to let us move forward with our group capital calculation. Um, I think we'll be, we'll we'll continue to be in a good place. And at some point, um, you know, we still believe that our our group capital calculation will provide um, a, a translatable, if you will, uh, uh, methodology that that can be understood by global regulators, particularly with regards to supervisory colleges. And will um, eventually, eventually, be at least recognizable, or in a you know in a in a in a way uh, comparable to um, how the Europeans and other countries that use uh, solvency to do um, uh, value capital. Um, but in the meantime, there are a lot of you know a lot of fist fights and and a lot of uh, and a lot of uh, negotiation going on in the trenches about. About different valuation methods and different different ideas about how capital is is calculated and how it's measured um, that we'll continue to have to fight over. But but um, we, at least we've we've gotten the runway um, to to uh, continue to work on our group capital calculation along with uh, the Federal Reserve's work 
on on aggregation, um, and that's that's been very beneficial. So it's just it's just a long a long strange trip, um, and a little long and a long slog that we've we've been engaged in. Um, and I think I think at least for the time being, we get to continue to be engaged on the on the international level, um, so that we we end up with a we end up in a place where again in a supervisory college context we can we can um, do our valuations and and also be be comfortable with and, and recognize the work that that our international colleagues do um, as as they value and and and, uh, and assess the strength of, of companies that are operating in a global way well that is a great uh, great answer to end on uh, I'm sure many of our listeners will pick up your grateful dead reference uh, we're just going to keep trucking along uh, right now, Ted, right. Uh, and you'll keep trucking along after your great uh, career, uh, you know, of service really as a regulator and NEIC leader. Um, we appreciate everything you've done, and, and we look forward to working with you. I'm sure in the future in some other capacity. But thanks for your time today. Thank you, Chuck, and I, and I want to just thank thank the uh, thank NAMIC for all of its uh, support and the and the friendships I've made with with so many of your member companies along the way. It's it's been a it's been a great it's been a great run. And that's a wrap for this episode of Insurance Uncovered and for season one of our podcast. We'd like to thank you all for tuning in and making the podcast a success. We'll be taking a brief hiatus over the holidays, but season two kicks off on January 23rd. We've got 22 fresh episodes planned for the new year, featuring all new issues, experts, and unscripted interviews with Chuck Chamnus. Until next time, I'm Kathy Inus, wishing you a wonderful holiday season.